to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God did not wait around to see if we were going to respond, if we were going to repent, if we were going to do the right thing before he decided to save us. That was a decision that he made entirely within himself, on his own, without any consideration of what we would or would not do. So in the end, we have to say, salvation is of the Lord. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, in a message titled, The First Gospel Message. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We're going to be looking at just the 15th verse of the third chapter. And the Lord is speaking. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, then jump down to verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed He shall bruise or crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Regarding this text, the great Victorian preacher C.H. Spurgeon said, This is the first gospel sermon that was ever delivered upon the surface of this earth. It was a memorable discourse indeed with the Lord himself for the preacher and the whole human race and the prince of darkness as an audience. It is indeed the first gospel message for it declared to the first man and woman that one of their descendants would ultimately bring the devil's defeat. That descendant, of course, would be Jesus Christ. And he's referred to here in the text as the seed of the woman. And so let's look together at this text and let's look at the gospel as it is laid out in this passage. But before we do that, let me quickly mention two things. Number one, The religion of Jesus Christ, I hate to use the word religion, but you know what I mean. The faith that we hold to, that we've received from the Bible, the religion of Jesus Christ is the oldest religion in the world. The oldest religion in the world. As a matter of fact, the promise of his coming is given to the first two people at the very beginning of time. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because liberals and skeptics tend to condescendingly look down their nose at Christianity and the exclusive claims of Christianity and attribute those exclusive claims to some sort of chronological immaturity. 
And I have heard some of these skeptics, some of these critics, sort of mockingly laughing at the exclusive claims of the Christian faith and dismissing them by saying, oh, well, you know, Christianity is a rather young religion. It hasn't really matured yet. And, you know, uh, when time passes and uh, the maturity process takes place, then uh, it will lose its exclusive nature. But they refer to it as a relatively young religion. Wrong. It's the oldest religion in the world. And here it is right here. The very beginning of time, the first gospel message preached to the first two human beings. So you can't go back really any farther than that. So that's just one for the skeptics. Secondly, I wanted to just touch on this because we're not going to spend any amount of time on it, but notice there is a reference here to the seed of the serpent. God is speaking, of course, here to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And so there is a hint here at some satanic offspring. And just as here in seminal form, we have the the prophecies of the Messiah, we also have, I I believe, sort of a, a little hint of the false Messiah that will come into the world, the Antichrist, the seed of the serpent. But as we move on now to look at the gospel in this 15th verse. Notice, first of all, God speaks and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And the first thing that I want you to notice about the gospel is it is God's initiative. The gospel Of course, it originated with God. Salvation itself originates with God. And we have to understand that. You see, man, in submitting, really, over to Satan, he came into a position where Satan now had dominion over him. And it seems that Satan was counting on man's descendants to be confederates with him in his rebellion against God. But here we see God himself taking the initiative. And and I think it's important to notice this. At this point, man has not repented. At this point, Adam, especially, far from acknowledging his sin, at this point, Adam has blamed God for the situation. And Eve, of course, has confessed that she was deceived by the serpent. But but at this particular moment, man has done nothing to move back toward 
fellowship with God. And yet we see God is the proactive one. God takes the initiative. God moves in to this situation. And in a sense, he just immediately takes control of the whole situation. He puts himself right in the middle of it. And he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman. You think you might have some sort of a confederation here? to work out your rebellion on this planet, God says, no, I won't allow that to happen. God himself intervenes. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Salvation is possible, not because of us, but because of God. In Romans chapter nine, I think it's verse 22, Paul says an interesting thing. He's speaking about salvation, and he says, it's not of him who wills or of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Now, certain people take that to mean that man has no say-so whatsoever in his personal salvation. They take that to mean that there is no choice. We are chosen by God. We have no say-so in the matter. This is the position of Reformed theology or Calvinism, which is a synonym for Reformed theology. And that particular passage, it is not of him who wills or of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy, that is a passage that they feel very confident expresses their theological view. But the problem with that interpretation is it contradicts many other passages that tell us we do have personal responsibility. I must exercise my will to be saved. But if if the Bible tells us that on the one hand, and, and yet on the other hand, it says it's not of him who wills or him who runs, but it's of God who shows mercy, is there therefore a contradiction in the scriptures? And I don't think there is. I think the problem is these people are failing to take the statement there in Romans 9 and to take it all the way back where I think it belongs at the very beginning of salvation. And I believe what Paul is telling us there is simply this. Just what we see here in Genesis chapter 3, if it were not for the intervention of God, there would be no salvation. You see, God did not wait around to see if we were going to respond, if we were going to repent, if we were going to you know, do the right thing before he decided to save us. He decided to save us. That was a decision that he made entirely within himself on his own without any consideration of what we would or would not do. So in the end, we have to say Salvation is of the Lord. The possibility of salvation exists because God made the decision to save us. And that's what we see. We see that in action as God steps in and he sort of breaks up this conspiracy and he says, no, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So 
salvation is possible because of God, because of his love, because of his mercy. As John tells us in his epistle, we love him because he first loved us. You know, sometimes God has been sort of presented as the reluctant savior. Somebody twisting his arm. Jesus pleading with the father and begging, oh no, father, don't destroy them. I will go and I will be the sacrifice. That's a very distorted picture of God. Because of course, the the biblical picture is that God the father is the one sending the son. God the father is the one who initiates this whole possibility of salvation. And that's the first thing we see here in our text. But another thing that we see is in reference to the seed. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now, this is a very unusual way to describe things. As a matter of fact, this is the only place in the entire Bible where the seed is referenced back to the woman. All throughout the scripture, when you talk about the seed, you're always talking about the seed in connection with the man. You're talking about Abraham and his seed or Isaac and his seed or all the way down the line. Because, of course, from the biological standpoint, the man is the one who contributes the seed. But what we have here, ever so slightly, but yet definitely here, we have a little hint, a little indication of what we would come to know more fully later as the virgin birth of the Messiah. And and so when the reference to this deliverer that's going to come and, and crush the head of the serpent, when this deliverer is being referred to as the seed of the woman, it's a little hint, it's an indicator. Now, it, it wouldn't be accurate to say that it's, it's a full and complete revelation of the fact that there's going to be a virgin birth. But it's, it's hinted at. You see, what the Bible gives us is what's called progressive revelation. And God reveals more details about things through a process of time. But this is where it all begins. It all begins right here. In the very first prophecy, there is a hint at the virgin birth and also connected with that would be the incarnation. And when we use the term incarnation, we're talking about God becoming a man. So the virgin birth, one of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith but one that some people say today is really not all that vital or important. They see it as negotiable. They see it as something that you can sort of, you know, take it or leave it, depending on whether or not you can buy it. 
And it, it, you know, if it's a little bit too hard for you to swallow, then that's all right. You can still be a Christian and not believe in the virgin birth. You see, this presents massive problems. Because if we don't believe that Christ was born of a virgin, then what is the alternative? The only real alternative is that Jesus was the son of some man in history that nobody really you know, was able to identify, but nevertheless, that would be the case. And if Jesus is just the son of Mary and some man that she had a relationship with, then Jesus is a mere man. And as a mere man, he would be, of necessity, a sinful man. And therefore, he would not be able to offer his life as a sacrifice. So for those who say that we can just sort of dismiss the virgin birth and and not have any real problem maintaining our Christianity, those people aren't thinking clearly. Because it absolutely would alter everything that we believe. Now, I'm saying that here we're having this hinted at. And as I said, as we go further into the history of God's revelation, it starts to become stated more clearly. So we come to the time of Isaiah the prophet, the time of Micah, the prophet. They actually prophesied about the same time. Approximately 700 years before the birth of Christ. And it was Isaiah who said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means we learn from the New Testament, God is with us. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. About the same time, Micah is prophesying, and Micah prophesies regarding Bethlehem. And he says, O Bethlehem, though you're little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth is from old, even from everlasting. So Isaiah says the virgin is going to conceive and bear a son. His name is going to be called Emmanuel. God is with us. Micah says that Bethlehem is going to be the place where one is going to come from eternity. Isaiah went on to prophesy in the ninth chapter, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Referring back to the the, the earlier prophecy. Now, historically, Bible-believing Christians have taken these passages to be prophecies of the virgin birth. But the liberal comes along, the skeptic comes along, the critic comes along and says, oh, no, no. These were not prophecies of the virgin birth. Oh, as a matter of fact, when Isaiah said the virgin would conceive and bear a son, it just meant a young woman. Didn't mean a a virgin. That's impossible. That couldn't happen. And so they try to dismiss this. Now, this stuff has actually been recirculating for a couple of hundred years. 
back into the 1700s is when this stuff started to surface, and it's just been recirculating over the years. But we're sort of back at a place, and the reason I'm taking the time to address this tonight is because we're sort of back to a place where this is one of those things that you're going to be hearing people talk about, and you're going to be hearing people in the church talk about this, and they're going to be saying, some of them, things like this, oh, well, those weren't really prophecies of the virgin birth, but they were. And we could go into the arguments for the Hebrew word for virgin and so forth, but we'll just skip all of that and go right to the New Testament. And what do we find in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23? We find Matthew describing the situation between Joseph and Mary and Mary miraculously conceiving. And we find Matthew saying, and this was all done to fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah, which said, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So Matthew, the inspired apostle and writer of the first gospel, he tells us unequivocally, without any hesitation whatsoever, that the birth of Jesus Christ was a virgin birth in fulfillment to or of the prophecies that were given by Isaiah. And so, it's all right here. Now, as you probably know, Genesis is one of the most fiercely attacked books in all the Bible. And... The reason for that, the primary reason, is because, as we pointed out in earlier studies, the seed plot for everything else is right here in Genesis, and especially in the first 11 chapters. And so here it is, Genesis chapter 3, the prophecy, the first gospel message about the Redeemer that's going to come into the world, and the Redeemer is going to come in an extraordinary way. The Redeemer is going to be born of a virgin, hinted at in Genesis, further revealed through the prophets, and clarified totally and completely when we come to the New Testament. Now, the Lord speaking to the serpent. I'm going to reverse the order here. He says that the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. He would bruise the heel. All his life long, his heel, that is his human nature, speaking of Jesus, his human nature was perpetually being made to suffer. We read in the Gospels that Jesus carried our sicknesses and bore our sorrows. Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. 
I want to tell you about a really fun book that I stumbled across recently. It's by Andrew Wilson, and it's a book called God of All Things, subtitle, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World. And the cover of the book kind of says it all. There's a bird, there's a pig, there's a tree, there's a flower, there's a salt shaker, a loaf of bread, a fish, there's rain. And Andrew does an amazing job of just looking at all of these common things around us and seeing different aspects of who God is and what he's done through those things. So I used it for a devotional time. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend Andrew Wilson's God of All Things. Again, this month's resource is a book titled God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. You can order the book God of All Things by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The God of All Things by Andrew Wilson, to help you discover God is in the everyday things of life. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.